I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was a bright morning as I walked through the forest, enjoying the fresh air and the beauty of nature. I had just started working as an assistant to park ranger Susan, who was a seasoned veteran with years of experience in the field. She had a keen eye for spotting unusual wildlife and was eager to teach me everything she knew. As we reached the area east of the junction of Highway 211 and Unger Road, Susan suddenly stopped in her tracks and pointed to something up ahead. Squinting my eyes, I saw a large, black-brown creature crossing the path from left to right. It was very hairy, and the top of its head appeared to be rounded rather than pointed. I was astonished, as I had never seen anything like it before. The creature stopped, spun around, and looked directly at us. Its gaze was intense, and we couldn't help but feel a shiver down our spines. I could tell that Lori was just as surprised as I was, and we were both eager to investigate further. We cautiously followed the creature about 30 feet into the forest. However, the dense foliage and our growing unease made us increasingly anxious, and we decided to return to the safety of our vehicle. As we made our way back, Susan shared stories of previous hoax cases involving a so-called dogman that would run away, jump into a car, and take off laughing. However, there was no side road at this site, which made our encounter all the more puzzling. Back at the car, Susan and I discussed the strange creature we had seen. Neither of us could identify it, and we were left with more questions than answers. 
Was it a new, unknown species, or perhaps a misidentified known animal? Or maybe it was something even more mysterious, a creature that defied explanation. Our encounter with the unknown creature sparked a newfound curiosity and sense of wonder within me. Working alongside park ranger Susan, I knew that I would have many more opportunities to explore the mysteries of the forest and the incredible creatures that call it home. When I still lived with my mother in her previous home, we had a feeling there was something else present. The creepiest thing that I can't explain is one night, I was sitting on the couch watching a show called A Haunting or something along those lines. As soon as the TV said, and that's when they started messing with the electricity. Both of the lamps in the living room started flashing on and off. I've never witnessed electrical problems before or after that. The lamps were plugged into different outlets. The TV didn't flash. I asked my sister if the lights upstairs were acting weird, and she said no. When I came back downstairs from asking her, they were back to normal. I've tried to think of an explanation besides it was a super weird experience with a spirit or something, but haven't come up with one. I didn't feel scared or anything, so it was actually pretty cool. LOL. I went to high school in the early 2000s, specifically 23-2007. I was in band, choir, and theater, so I was not popular by any means. I had a fair amount of friends, and high school was fun for the most part. I live in a small coastal town of Mississippi, so it's important to know that everyone pretty much knows everyone else. Enough of that, though. Let's get to the actual story. Living in South Miss, everyone pretty much knows everyone. I wasn't popular in high school, but I had a fair amount of friends. I had this weird way of attracting the oddest of people at school. I'm not talking about those that were goth or emo, but those that were genuinely weird. You know what I'm talking about, those people that were on the creepy side. I didn't think much of it because in my young high school mind, they were just misunderstood. This one guy that I met at school, let's call him Chip, was more of a creep than I thought. He would follow me around the school talking to me about random things. He was into the card game magic and would try to explain it to me in great detail to my disliking. I would politely tell him that I was not interested and walk into my class. He made it a point to wait for me after each class and walk with me everywhere. He was a loner and I was starting to figure out why. I figured that he talked to me because I didn't tell him to screw off. My friends would give me grief about him and say that he was stalking me. I would laugh it off and say he was just a weird guy that didn't know better. To give a little backstory to this, I was pretty awkward looking in my freshman and part of my sophomore years of high school. I'm tall, 5 feet 9 to be exact, and during that time I was having growth spurts. I was super skinny and had boobs way too big for my tiny frame. I had not grown into myself just yet. Okay, back to the story. He would tell me every day that I was the most beautiful person he had ever seen and wanted to be with me. I wasn't allowed to date at the time, so I would tell him that my parents weren't allowing me to date just yet. He told me that he would wait for me, and that we would be together one day. 
I just brushed it off like I always did not thinking anything of it. Fast forward to my junior year of high school. I had finally filled out, I'm still slender, but I was finally getting some curves and my breasts looked much more proportional. I was driving home from school with my little sister in the truck with me. I had a red 1997 Ford Ranger XLT. I was turning off the road that my school was on, and there was an old Chevy that was following me. I didn't think much of it at the time because several of my classmates lived close to me. There were a couple of main roads in my hometown. Highway 90, which is the beach highway and railroad. They run parallel to each other. We were driving down railroad to our street and the old Chevy truck was getting closer to us. It freaked my sister out, but I assured her that it wasn't anything to worry about. We pulled onto our street and then to our driveway and the truck passed us. My sister and I shook it off and walked inside. A few days later, we were pulling into our driveway after school and Chip was sitting on our front doorstep. He smiled at us and waved to me. My mom works in the morning as a weekday preschool teacher, so she was already home. I nodded at him and rushed my sister inside through the side door. My sister was in the seventh grade at the time. My mom just looked at me with this stern look and asked me why he was sitting on our front doorstep. I told her about him following me around at school and talking to me because he doesn't have any friends. She told me that he is not allowed to come back to the house and that I needed to ask him to leave. I told her that I would and I walked outside. I told him that he would need to leave and that my mom said that he wasn't allowed to come back to my house. He smiled and said okay and walked away. I got a really creepy feeling about him from then on out. As usual he would follow me around school every day. My senior year came and I got a job at the same preschool my mom works at. I was at work one day when I looked out my classroom window and I noticed the old Chevy truck parked in the parking lot by my truck. I got that same sick feeling that I got that day I told Chip to leave. I shook it off because I had a classroom full of kids. A few days later there was a knock on my classroom door. Now the way that the preschool was set up was in trailers with a large outside deck connecting each classroom. This was right after Hurricane Katrina and the old building was destroyed in the hurricane. My mom and the director were standing outside looking upset. I asked them what was wrong and my mom said that Chip was here looking for me. They found someone to cover for me and I stepped outside on the deck where he was standing. He approached me like he was going to give me a hug. I backed up and put my hands out in front of me. He stopped and looked hurt. I've been waiting for you, he said. I asked him for what. He told me that I am more than old enough to start dating, and he felt that it was time that we start dating. I told him that he was crazy and that I would not date him. I gave this super long pissed off monologue that I won't bore you with. Basically, I told him in so many words to screw off and don't come near me again. He pleaded with me and then got angry when I didn't apologize to him. I stood my ground and he finally left. That was a huge mistake. I broke down and cried. I was crying so hard that I didn't realize that I had literally hit the deck. My mom took me into the office building and called the police. 
I relayed the conversation to them when they arrived, and they took me to the station to give a formal statement and to have a restraining order put against him. I thought that would be the end of it. I was wrong. A few years later I have since graduated from high school and junior college. I was starting my first year at a four-year university. I was also working for an HVAC company as the office manager. Our office was in a modular home. My office was to the left of the door, and there was a window in front of me letting me see who would walk into the door. The restraining order had been lifted because it was only for a couple of years. I was hoping that he had gotten the message and would leave me alone. I was in the office and I heard the door open. I was working on something in QuickBooks and politely said, I'll be with you in a moment. I finished what I was doing and looked up. I felt the blood drain from my face. It was Chip. I stared at him in horror. My boss had a shotgun in my office in case someone tried to break in and harm me when I was alone. I happened to be alone at the time. I also had my boss's Belgian Malinois Sam with me as well. Sam would greet me every morning and would stay by my side all day. He was two at the time. He sat up and growled at Chip and got closer to me. I asked him what he wanted. He stood in the small foyer and smiled. I'm still waiting for you. He turned around and walked out. Sam barked at him and whined when the door slammed shut. I called my boss and told him what happened. He rushed back to the office and made sure I was okay. I told him that I was and was thankful that Sam was with me. At the time I was living with my boyfriend, now husband, and told him what happened. My boss told me that I could have Sam as my dog as long as I brought him to work with me every day. I thanked him because Sam had become really attached to me. I brought Sam home with me and still have him to this day. My boss's other dog had puppies. She was a pit bull and my boss gave me one of her puppies. We named him Breezy and he and Sam are best friends. I left the company after I was offered a job in the town I live in now. My boss told me that Sam was mine to keep and I was grateful for that. Fast forward a year. That last bit was in 20,120,2013. My boyfriend and I are now married. The wedding was beautiful and we have been happily married. I'm still at the job that I left my previous job for. I was leaving work one evening. It was early December 2014 so it was dark out when I left. My boss knew my former boss and lets me bring Sam with me to work. It's a small office that does exotic car repair. I was in the office by myself most of the time, but the garage was connected to the office. As I was leaving, Sam stopped and started barking and growling at something in the shadows by the office building. That was the last thing I remember. I woke up in the middle of an abandoned park. It used to be a popular park where families would bring their kids to play on the swing sets. It was privately owned and the man who owned it died so it became abandoned. I couldn't tell where I was because it was so dark. I couldn't find my phone or purse. I saw something moving in the distance I realized that I was tied to the old swing set pole. The figure got closer and I could see who it was. It was Chip. I screamed but he rushed over and covered my mouth with his hands. I stared at him in horror. 
I waited for you, he said. My eyes got wide. I waited and waited and waited, but you never came to me. That upsets me. By this time, he had let my mouth go and had turned his back to me. I wriggled my hands a bit to see if I could get free. I couldn't get my hands free, but I noticed that the pole wiggled. He still had his back turned to me and was talking nonsense. I don't remember what he said because that's when my adrenaline kicked in. I had been taking kickboxing classes for some time now. I started the classes to get in shape for the wedding, and I loved it so I continued. I looked behind me and noticed that the pole that I was tied to was really short. I pulled it out of the ground quite easily and adjusted myself to bring my hands in front of me. I quietly stood up and approached him. I swung my arms and heard the pole connect with his head. He hit the ground with a thud. He was a large man but not very muscular. I ran to where I knew the road was and found his truck parked on the side of the road. I looked in and saw my purse and things on the passenger side. I found an old pocket knife on the driver's seat and cut myself free. He was an idiot and had left the keys in the truck. I thanked God for that. I started the truck and peeled away. I went straight to the police station and told them what happened. They took my report and I called my husband to come get me. He came with my parents and we hugged and cried for a long time. I asked them where Sam was and if he was okay. Apparently when I blacked out Sam attacked the guy and he beat him pretty badly. My boss found him and had called my husband after he couldn't find me. They had taken Sam to the local vetter. He was badly hurt but survived. The police went to the site where I was and they couldn't find him. He had disappeared. Fast forward to Valentine's Day 2015, we were celebrating at home with our dogs and cat boss. I went to check the mail and saw a letter with no return address. I walked inside and opened it, and there was a small piece of paper that said, I'll be waiting for you. I dropped the note and cried. We took it to the police to add it to my case file. 2016 came and went without issue. Until Christmas. I was getting ready to go to my parents' house while my husband put the presents in the car. I walked out of the house ready to go and my husband looked at me with a scared look on his face. He just looked at me and cut his eyes to a spot around the car. I walked around and saw Chip. He was holding a crowbar like he was ready to bash my husband's head in. I had my Bluetooth headset on and made sure that I was half hiding behind my car. I held my phone and dialed 911. I heard the dispatcher and said, Mama, it's me Sarah. The dispatch asked me what the emergency was. I told her that we would be running late because an old friend had shown up. The dispatch asked what my address was. I said, Oh, I thought I had texted it to my sister already, I'm sorry it's. And I gave her my address. She said that the police were on their way. I said, that sounds great, I'll see y'all in a bit. I hung up and smiled and apologized about that. He smiled and said that he was tired of waiting for me and wanted me to come with him. I stood there and told him no, he waved the crowbar side to side in his hand behind my husband's head. My husband is a very fit man. He quickly turns around and elbowed him in the head. At that time, the police pull up and arrested him.
I gave them another statement along with my husband, and they said that they would update us on the case. We went to my parents' house, spent some time with them, and we went home. It's been some time since his arrest and no word on what has happened. I keep looking over my shoulder in fear that he will be there. Sam doesn't leave my side. He goes with me everywhere that dogs are allowed. If Sam can't go, my husband does. I don't know what will happen, but I want to move on with my life. Maybe one day I will be able to. I remember what he said when they put him in the police car. I'm still waiting for you. I'll always be waiting for you. Update. I just got off the phone with my lawyer, and he has not bonded out yet. The court date is set for February 7th. I will update after court. Update 2. Court was uneventful to a point. We heard statements from both his and my lawyers. They pleaded insanity on his behalf. He's not insane. I wanted my lawyer to push for life without possibility of parole. The judge said that we would have to obtain information to overturn the insanity plea. My lawyer is currently poring over school academic records and previous jobs that he has held to prove that he isn't insane. I've been trying to process this information for some time. I can't believe they would try to pass him off as insane. We will be back in court on Monday. It's Thursday night. I'll be home alone for the weekend. My husband and his best friend will be out of town for business. It'll be just me, Sam and Boz. I'm nervous, but I know he is still in the county jail until our next hearing. I will update as soon as I can. My boss gave me Friday off so I can stay home in the safety and comfort of my home. We installed a state-of-the-art alarm system with cameras and everything. It makes me feel a little better. I won't be going anywhere this weekend either. This was not what I wanted, but it's better than him walking the streets and possibly trying to abduct me again. Update 3. It's been a while since I have updated this. My lawyer was able to temporarily overturn the insanity plea because of the information he found. The judge told him to his face that he believed he wasn't insane, but that he was psychotic. There was no ruling because his lawyer doesn't think he is fit to be in jail, but wants to put him in an institution so that he can get help. I think that he is beyond help and needs to be locked away for good. The judge said they have to prove that he truly needs help and appointed a psychologist to run some extensive tests. I'm afraid that they will find him to be mentally unstable and put him in a mental health facility instead of jail. This is not how I wanted this to go. I will update again when I get some news. I was jarred back to memories of when I was growing up in New York. I must have been 12 to 14 years of age, having several reoccurring instances that I took for vivid dreams. The dreams include several periods of paralysis that would always end with my choking for air and on most occasions vomiting. In these states I would be asleep in my bed facing up. I would open my eyes and find that I was drawn to one particular section of my ceiling and I couldn't take my eyes off the area. I would feel the room expand. I may have a better word for this later, but expansion was definitely one of the senses I was having. 
I would then begin to rise straight up parallel to the ceiling and go through what would be an ever-expanding blackness. I can remember seeing myself even though I was still face up. It was like having a vision of myself instead of actual sight. I would then proceed to feel cold, very cold, and eventually there would be stars. After seeing the stars, everything would eventually go black and the next vision I would have would be of myself on top of a large orb. It was as if I was one with it or molded with it, because it seemed that my body was flush with its surface. I want to say it was silver, but it may be that my mind just saw it as a huge BB. I am in a massive chamber that went on and on forever, no light, no things to gauge distance. At this point the same things would always happen, I would start to move away from myself. My vision of this always had me seeing myself from over my left shoulder. As I moved further away from the place of the B and BS dock, I would begin to fade, disappear, and the choking would begin. At first it was just hard to breathe. Then I would be very aware of what was happening to my body that was left behind in my bed, and that is when the puking would begin. The more faded I became the worse the choking would get, and eventually I would wind up back in my room with a rushing of great speed. These events happened to me infrequently at first, but then began to escalate. My feelings were that whatever was doing this no longer cared about whether or not I believed it to be a dream or not. It didn't help that I didn't have a family member that would listen to me as they never experienced anything. When this happened the home always seemed empty or totally devoid of life other than my own. This thing happened to me for what seemed like years. During those years I went through a lot of behavioral issues, violence, bedwetting, dissociation of family. I was then confronted with the faceless women. The same events would happen, but instead of going off to the void all the time, I would be brought to a huge chamber. Again, very black, no light, at least none that could be explained or truly seen. In this chamber, I would be in a circle of about 15-20 apparently mature women. They were spread out about arm's length apart, and I would float in the middle of the circle and be asked to choose my mother. I would look around at all of them, and they were all very similar. As I would try to see them better, I would either move closer to the one I thought was my mother, or just concentrate on the face. When I looked at their faces, they were always missing, gone or blurred like an old black and white TV screen. It was impossible to choose, and when I did, I would always begin gasping and choking and would be told to pick again. This would go on and on without ever having an answer or an end. I'm not quite sure at what stage of my life this finally ended, but as I get older it gets easier for me to remember these details. My story takes place in the fall of 1978. I was 12 years old and myself and three other kids were walking along a trail along a bean field near our old childhood woods. The woods surround this bean field and we were we had our heads down looking on the trail looking for used shotgun shells and such. We used to collect them as kids so we weren't paying attention to what our surroundings were. All of a sudden, one of the kids went running by me screaming and yelling, taking off in the opposite direction. I had my back turned to whatever he was running from. I turned around and the other two kids went running by me yelling, run, run, run. 
and I looked up and about 25 to 30 feet away from me was this headless figure standing there. I froze. I was like, for like five seconds, I was staring at this thing. And I got a good look at it, and the first thing I noticed was that it was wearing one of those shoulder bullet belts. Like from the movie The Good. The bad and the ugly Nori says, you mean like the banditos used to wear. Yeah, yeah, right. And I didn't see a weapon or anything and obviously it had no head. And it looked like it was wearing some type of uniform. It was an old Civil War type uniform. It had black boots up to its knees. I stood there for a second before I took off. I was just in shock and this figure slowly raised its arm and it pointed its finger at me. And I got a good look at its hand and it was pale white like it was dipped in flour. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I took off running finally and ran into the woods where this other kid was hiding. And we watched as this figure walked alongside the bean field where we were standing. And it went off across the trail into the other side of the woods and it disappeared. This happened to my mom back in the late 70s. First of all, we live in an area in the south that is known for beautiful lakes, rivers, ponds, and woods. Due to the beautiful bodies of water and wooded areas, we have state parks, city parks, etc., and many of them near the water. There is a state park in our area, which was established in the 60s. This park is located on a river, and it is down a long dirt road through the woods. There are no houses nearby. The park is a huge grassy area facing the river with rustic looking picnic tables, big oak trees and a rustic building with bathrooms. When my mom was young, the state park service had some type program where teenagers could work for the summer. She was happy to get in the program and make some money jobs were not plentiful in our area. Her job for the summer was to be the lifeguard at this particular state park. She loved the river, so she was happy. On weekends, the park was full. On weekdays, many times, no one came down there, and when anyone did show up, it might be like one family, possibly two. So, this was a weekday. It was morning, and no one was at the park except my mom. The lifeguard chair was not like most. It was handmade rough wood to keep up with the rustic design of the park, and it was not up very high. This is relevant since no one had shown up at the park. My mom settled in her rustic, uncomfortable lifeguard chair with a good book. Some guy seemed to show up out of nowhere. She looked up from her book, and he was just kind of there. He was wearing dirty jeans and no shirt and looked generally unkempt. But in our area, that look was not necessarily unusual. She asked could she help him, and he asked her if he could skinny dip in the river. She thought he was just joking around and of course, she told him no. She was feeling a little creeped out, because no one was there except her and him. But the rangers usually rode down every couple of hours and circled through the park. So she knew they were subject to show up at any time. Anyway, after telling this guy he could not skinny dip, he stripped down to his boxer shorts and dove into the water. My mom was more than a little freaked out at this point. She was, and is a tiny person, at the time 5 foot 2 and 115 pounds. Well, while she is looking around nervously hoping a ranger, or anyone will come driving up, 
the guy gets out of the water. Of course, being wet and wearing only boxers, my mom could see everything he had. He walks up to the lifeguard chair and asks my mom if she wants to go out in the woods and have sex with him. She is really scared now and she said no and asked him to leave. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he reaches up her member. The chair is not very high and puts his hand on her leg and basically lets her know he would and could force her. She looked around and as luck would have it, she saw one of the rangers driving up. She jumped out of the lifeguard chair and ran toward the road and toward the ranger. The guy disappeared. The rangers looked for him and never could find him. For the rest of the summer, the rangers patrolled a lot more and my mother never saw the creepy guy again. She said it was one of the scariest moments she ever had. I now live in southeastern Pennsylvania, which was the hotspot of a UFO flap in 2008. Just a few miles away from my current residence, we had one of the greatest UFO encounters. However, I will leave that for another day. In the early 60s, the small suburb of San Juan outside the city of Manila was visited by several UFO sightings, and later what is now referred to as Mothman. I was born and raised in that little suburban town about three miles from where these series of sightings took place. When I was about a year and a half old, my parents moved to a townhouse apartment in the small hamlet of Little Baguio near San Juan. It's a picturesque Spanish-type suburb with stucco houses with red tile roofs inhabited by the well-to-do with tended gardens. In between these homes, ranch-style and townhouse-type apartments were randomly scattered. It was in one of these apartments where the haunting of my father started. As my mother and uncle faithfully recounted, my father would retire to his study as a writer of books and poems to sit at his typewriter in the fading twilight after dinner. Outside his den, a creek could be seen running the length of the house through a huge, jalousied window. One evening, according to their recollection, a distinct hum could be heard. As my father paused from his typing, he glanced out the fading light of the twilight to behold a nine-foot being standing with a black cape in the shadow of a large tree perched at the edge of the creek. The creature was jet black, with the cape glinting in the starlight like leather. As my father backed away from his desk to observe the creature, he noticed a face take form with red eyes and a mask of menace. The creature had horns like a goat and long face that exuded deep horror. My uncles who were close to my father recalls the night my father had ran from the room in fear he had believed he was hallucinating the events, only to find the creature hanging one night like a bat from the breadth of the expansive den window. It was looking down at him in menace. As they ran to the room, they were overcome by a sense of foreboding and sadness. Upon arrival, the creature had already disappeared, to be replaced by a full moon and the sound of the water in the creek. One night, several months later, my father refused to sleep, fearful the creature would enter his dreams. My mother set up vigil with a live-in servant, a young woman who believed the creature was a demon. As my father finally slept with my mother sipping tea in the next room, a yell ensued from the maid who had entered my father's den to check on a scratching noise. As my mother rushed into the room, she finally sighted the creature. It hung, bat wings spread, 
the breadth of the window, which was about 10, 12 feet in length, glaring pointedly at my mother as she approached. Fearful but determined to confront the creature which haunted her husband, she reached for a cross on the opposite wall and charged the window with it, praying the Our Father as she approached. In the darkness, the creature folded into itself, cloak and all into the ground under the window and disappeared. The local priest was consulted and blessings were attended on the apartment and on my father. However, oppressed by the continuous haunting, my father finally committed S as a means of escape. That same night, my mother tucked my belongings with me and fled, never returning to the apartment. The creature followed us to my grandmother's house where a priest held mass and blessed the house and all of us. At some point, the sightings of the creature finally stopped. It was only my mother and the maid who saw it. But other ghosts continued to haunt the town, a scene of much bloodshed in World War II when the Japanese invaded the town. That was my first encounter with the unknown. When I was growing up, we lived near a town called Welty in Oklahoma. It's really not much of a town, just a tiny store, some churches and a lot of farms. We lived off the main road, close to an area called Macopper, which is also nothing but farms and a cemetery, and not even considered a town. Very middle of nowhere. My family told a lot of creepy stories about this place, especially having to do with orbs and weird deer. I do have memories of seeing orbs floating over the trees and have no idea what those were, but I never personally saw anything else. My dad has always been a skeptic and never chimed in on these stories. He has Alzheimer's and has a great memory of the past, but horrible short term. The other day he was telling me how much he loved living out there and wished he could still live there, and I brought up the orbs and the creepy stories my family always shared. He agreed that they were always creeped out out there, but then he told me he actually saw something really odd once. He told me one night he was sitting on the porch by himself, and a man ran through our yard wearing what looked like a deer head. Not just the antlers, but like he had a deer's head. He just ran through and continued on down the pitch black road. My dad didn't know what to think of it. He just told me he thought people out there had too much time on their hands. My mom and brother also saw what they said was a deer walking upright all the way down the road. I know deer do this, but they said it just kept walking like that in the middle of the road. My aunt also said they passed a man who was wearing a deer's head on the road one night. There aren't street lights in this area, so he was just out there in the dark road alone, just standing there. It was late November 1994, and my husband and I decided to go hiking to Bagby Hot Springs in Oregon. The weather was chilly, and a thick layer of snow covered the ground. We were both excited to get away from the city and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. As we hiked along the well-trodden trail, I noticed something peculiar barefoot tracks in the deep snow. The tracks were quite large, about 14-16 inches long and 6-8 inches wide at the ball. What struck me as odd was the absence of any claw marks and the fact that the smaller toes seemed almost non-existent. The stride was long, and the tracks followed a generally straight line up the trail, 
although they occasionally crossed back over, as if the creature had doubled back. I decided not to mention the tracks to my husband, who was a skeptic when it came to anything out of the ordinary. Surprisingly, he didn't bring them up either. We continued our hike, but my curiosity about the tracks only grew stronger. As we neared the hot springs, we encountered a park ranger named Jake. I couldn't help but ask him if he had seen or heard anything unusual in the area. He was a tall, sturdy man with a weathered face that suggested he had spent years working in the wilderness. Jake looked at me thoughtfully for a moment before replying, You know, I've heard some stories from other hikers about strange tracks in the snow. I've seen them myself a few times. Some folks think it's a prank, while others believe it might be something more mysterious like a Bigfoot. My husband chuckled at the mention of Bigfoot, but Jake didn't seem to find it amusing. Look, I can't say for sure what's making those tracks, but I'd advise you both to be careful out here, he warned. The wilderness can be unpredictable, and it's best to stay alert. We thanked Jake for his advice and continued on our way to the hot springs. The rest of our hike was uneventful, but the memory of those tracks lingered in my mind. It was early morning in September as I walked through the dense forest, about a quarter mile off Wildcat Mountain Road. I was on a mission to track the movement of an elk herd that returned to this area every seven days to feed. The sun had just begun to peek through the trees, casting a golden glow on the forest floor. I had been hiking for a while when I met a seasoned hunter named Joe. He was also tracking the elk and had been doing so for years. We decided to team up and continue our observation together. As we moved deeper into the woods, Joe shared fascinating stories about his experiences as a hunter and his encounters with various wildlife. Suddenly, from the next canyon over, we heard a high-pitched whistle that pierced the stillness of the morning air. The sound was incredibly loud and lasted for about 20 seconds. Joe, being very familiar with the sounds of the forest, was puzzled by this whistle. He assured me that it was neither an elk nor a cat. The peculiar whistle set off a frenzy of barking from dogs at nearby homes, which continued for about five minutes. Joe and I exchanged worried glances before deciding to cautiously investigate the source of the strange sound. As we approached the next canyon, we stumbled upon something we never expected to see a large, hairy creature standing on two legs, its eyes fixed on us. We were both frozen in shock, unable to move or speak. The creature appeared to be a Sasquatch, a legendary being that had been the subject of countless tales and rumors, but never proven to exist. The Sasquatch seemed just as surprised to see us, and it let out another high-pitched whistle before disappearing into the dense forest. Joe and I stared at each other in disbelief, our hearts pounding in our chests. We knew that we had just witnessed something extraordinary, something that would change the way we viewed the world and the creatures that inhabited it. The encounter with the Sasquatch overshadowed our original mission to observe the elk herd, and we spent the rest of the day discussing our experience and pondering the existence of this mysterious creature. As we parted ways, Joe and I agreed to keep our encounter a secret, 
knowing that most people would dismiss our story as a fabrication or an exaggeration. But deep in our hearts, we knew the truth we had come face to face with a legend, a creature that had eluded mankind for centuries. And although our encounter was brief, it would remain etched in our memories for the rest of our lives. It was the 14th of October, and my son Peter and I found ourselves hunting in the woods northeast of Lincoln City, Oregon. The air was crisp, and the rustle of autumn leaves echoed through the forest, creating an eerie yet familiar atmosphere. We've always enjoyed these father-son excursions, a tradition passed down through generations. But that day, we were to stumble upon something that would etch itself into our memories forever. As we moved deeper into the woods, we noticed a peculiar sight. A large section of the forest floor had been disturbed. Numerous roots, each one large and white as though freshly exposed to the air, were pulled up from the ground. That wasn't the strange part. What baffled us was the arrangement of these roots. Each one of them was laid in a row along the path we were following, all facing the same direction. The roots were intact, displaying a systematic arrangement that seemed too deliberate to be the work of animals. It was as if something or someone had carefully uprooted and arranged these roots with a specific intent. Peter and I exchanged puzzled glances, our curiosity piqued. We were familiar with the woods and its residents, but this was something we had never seen before. It was unsettling, and we felt a sense of unease creeping over us. Nevertheless, we decided to press on, keeping a mental note of the strange roots. The next day, we returned to the same spot, half expecting the roots to be gone, perhaps carried off by some animal or scattered by the wind. But they were still there, undisturbed, laid out in the same meticulous order as the day before. To this day, we don't know what caused this strange occurrence. Was it some bizarre natural phenomenon? Or was it the work of an unknown creature in the woods? We can only speculate. But one thing is certain the woods of Lincoln City hold mysteries that go beyond our comprehension. And that day, we had come face to face with one of them. This just happened last night. My boyfriend, our husky, and I embarked upon our long holiday road trip to see our families earlier today. 14 hours of this trip takes place on a major U.S. interstate highway. We were looking for places to make our last gas stop and found a place just off the highway. We pulled off and into the desolate gas station and immediately were greeted by a fairly large, somewhat sketchy man taking not-so-subtle glances in our direction. We both were joking that maybe we chose the wrong gas station and boy did we. My boyfriend suggested that while he pumped the gas and run to the restroom I take our dog and let him stretch his legs. Being a city girl I know to always carry my mace and phone especially at night. We diverged as I started to make my way towards the ill-lit side of the gas station and my boyfriend to the restroom. I made it not 30 feet from my car and was approached by a small Chihuahuamut with a caller who happily greeted our husky. I looked around for an owner while the two dogs got to know one another and continued to walk to a patch of grass with our new follower in tow. My first instinct was to help the dog and find his owner, 
but in the back of my mind something felt very off, and to be honest it felt off since the moment we pulled in. I immediately called my boyfriend and told him I had found a dog and said, Hey, I found a dog, but something is weird. He immediately abandoned his bathroom break and came out to meet me. While I'm standing with our dog and this dog who came seemingly out of nowhere, I felt eyes on me from the employees working outside. My boyfriend expressed concern about the dog being loose so close to a major highway and further looked around for its possible owner. He approached one of the employees who was changing out trash liners right next to our car for some time now. He asked the employee if he had any idea whose dog this was. In perfect English, he replied, I don't speak English, and anxiously turned around to only continue to go through the motions of changing out a trash liner he had been standing at this whole time. He then continued to watch us chase around this dog until the dog led us behind the conscience store gas station. With my boyfriend five feet behind me, I followed the dog to the back of the store. Behind the store, ten or so big rig trucks sat largely in darkness resting for the night. Cardboard boxes and broken wood pallets covered the dirt. A large man in a gas station uniform greeted me staring through a glass door. With my boyfriend out of view, I bent down to check the dog's tag as the man continued to stare. My boyfriend approached, and that's when the man behind the glass door's demeanor changed. Almost dejectedly, he opened the glass door. I quickly asked, Do you know whose dog this is? Nervously, he fumbled his words and replied, Yay, uh, uh, that's my uh, dog. We both exhaled and exchanged a look as if to say, Something about that was really weird. We made our way back to the car and my boyfriend remembered he had to still use the bathroom so I settled back into our locked car. When my boyfriend got back to the car, he told me the same man we talked to at the back of the store followed him to the bathroom and stood behind him watching. That's when we realized just how creepy and surreal the last 15 minutes have been. As we drove away, we discussed the strange and creepy series of events. How the whole thing felt staged or set up. Why did the employee act like he didn't know the dog when it belonged to his co-worker? We immediately googled the small town we had stopped in and discovered it has been a hot spot for human trafficking, and in recent months 60 people were arrested. Was this just a string of eerie coincidences, or was there some more sinister going on here? It was an early Tuesday morning. My friend and I were bow hunting off the face of the rock quarry. We stopped to rest on a bench in the tall timber, where we sat facing up the hill we had come down from earlier in the morning. We couldn't rest because we kept hearing a rustling sound up the hillside that kept our attention. Shortly thereafter, we thought we heard what sounded like girls talking on the 1161 road directly above us. It first sounded like laughing that immediately turned into a blood-curdling sound that went to a soft laughter to a very high pitch that got louder and louder. My first thought was it sounded like a mother watching its young being killed. This sound got so loud and its direction now sounded like from multiple directions around us like something was joining in on the cry. By this time approximately 20 seconds has gone by and the sound has not stopped for one second not even to take a breath of air. 
My friend kept asking me what is it as I was staring up the hillside in amazement. He finally was so scared he grabbed my shirt and looked me in the eye and said, What is it? I replied. I don't know but it better not come after us. This sound started to wind down like an old World War II hand crank warning alarm and then dissipated into a soft sound, then to nothing. We estimated this sound carried for approximately 40 seconds, and like I said, it never stopped to take a breath. The northwestern part of Pennsylvania, particularly the areas surrounding the Allegheny National Forest, has a rich history of reports about UFOs, Bigfoot, and other inexplicable events. It was in this intriguing setting on July 8, 2017, that my partner and I had an encounter that left us both bewildered. That morning at around 9, I stepped out onto our deck, which overlooks the lush greenery of our country home nestled near the forest. What caught my eye was an unusually large moth, resting on a 6x6 vertical post. The moth, if I could even call it that, was approximately 11 inches long and about 5 inches wide at what I can only describe as the shoulders. Its shape was peculiar, somewhat reminiscent of an hourglass. Adding to its unusual appearance were two appendages at the top of its head antennas or pointed ears, perhaps each about an inch long. It seemed as though the creature's head was tucked into its body, as if it was resting. Based on its size, I guessed its wingspan would reach an impressive 15 inches when fully spread out. Intrigued, I called my husband to witness this peculiar sight. I was taken aback by the creature's strange beauty. Its wings shimmered with a pale green iridescence, while the middle part appeared to have a creamy, skin-like texture. My husband was equally amazed, expressing that he'd never seen anything like it before. We both agreed that it resembled a giant moth. We spent some time observing the seemingly slumbering creature. Eventually, I gathered the courage to touch it, finding its wings smooth, almost skin-like, but not feathery or fuzzy. The creature remained still, not reacting to my touch. I also noticed a lack of the powdery residue typically left behind after touching a moth's wings. Before we had to leave our home for a bit, I decided to fetch my camera to capture a picture of our unusual visitor. Standing about a foot away, I tried to power up my camera, but to no avail. Despite the camera having never given us trouble before, and even after replacing the batteries, it still refused to turn on. The next day, it worked perfectly fine again. On our way to the car, we spotted another similar creature, perched on the outer wall of our home about ten feet off the ground. When we returned home later, both creatures had vanished. We've since made a sketch of what we saw it shows the back of the creature's wings, and the red area behind it represents the 6x6 vertical post it was resting on. It's possibly just a coincidence that my camera malfunctioned when I tried to photograph this odd-winged creature. However, I've heard of cases where photographic equipment mysteriously fails when someone attempts to capture images of UFOs or other phenomena. More recently, similar incidents have been reported in connection with significant UFO encounters in our state. Other researchers involved in paranormal investigations have reported similar experiences as well. 